Welcome. You are listening to the Better Together podcast with Callie and Rosario Picardo. We take on topics involving marriage, ministry, parenting, communication, relationships, and other subjects that our listeners want to hear more about. Welcome to another edition of the Better Together podcast. I am your co-host, Rosario Picardo. And I'm Callie Picardo, and we've got Dr. Joni Senkin again with us this week. Joni is, again, the Associate Professor of Homiletics at United Theological Seminary. She's also an ordained uh, Methodist, or not Methodist, Mennonite, Mennonite Church uh, pastor, clergy. I'm so used to this Methodist world, Joni, apologize. I know you're in this, these Methodist circles as well so much, but we're thankful to have you as a Mennonite in our presence and um, author of a new book coming out in November called All Our Griefs to Bear, Responding with Resilience After Collective Trauma. Joni, thanks for joining us again this week. Thanks for having me. And friends, if you missed it last week, we were talking about trauma and kind of what is it and how to name it. And just that starting place of being able to name and identify trauma as a spot to be able to shine light on it and start moving forward and healing. But Jenny's been working on some with collective trauma as well and how uh, collectively we can start to respond with our families, with our communities, with our schools, with our churches, if a group together has experienced uh, trauma. And um, today we're going to be looking at this lament. What, what is lament, Joni? And how, do we, how does this actually help with trauma? Well, I want to say that even if people have not named trauma in themselves, like the practices that we're going to be talking about and lament is, is one of those. There's something that can nurture resilience in people. So even if they aren't able to name, and I think this is especially important with children because they often don't have the complete um, array of language to describe what their emotional landscape is. And so I think um, just doing these practices can help to um, soothe something in them, even if they can't name what that is. And speaking about language, I do also want to give a shout out um, I recently finished Atlas of the Heart uh, by Brene Brown, and it's such a great book for people who want to have more language to describe their emotional landscape, um, because there is power in being able to name. And so I think that's a is a great um, additional read uh, to my own book, of course. <laughs> so to keep it really simple, lament is a prayer. Uh, it's a prayer to God. But there's also a social capacity um, to that. It's a prayer that expresses anguish. It's a prayer that expresses protest. Um, It's a prayer that says, God, this is not um, what you promised me. It's a prayer that says, God, I am dying. Um, Come save me. It's that prayer, um, as Howard Thurman would say, when your back is up against a wall, um, the prayer of lament is the, the human response. It's what we can do when we can do nothing else. And I think because of that, there's something very empowering. Uh, We have a God who welcomes this kind of prayer and who uh, engages in this kind of prayer with us. And that our Psalter and the Bible is full of these kinds of prayers. We don't use them in worship often enough. And so we can sometimes forget that this is the case, but like 40% of the book of Psalms are lament prayers. Like 
one of the reasons there are some scholars that think that part is, aside from being the, the word of God, that part of the reason why Christian and Jewish scripture has survived when a lot of other ancient scripture has not survived is because it is so honest about the human experience. Like it doesn't pretend like every battle was a victory and that every day was rainbows and unicorns. Like it's very honest about the pain of what it is to be a human being. And so these Psalms lay that bare. And if you don't have uh, your own words for a prayer of lament, you can read a lament Psalm and allow that to be your prayer. And one of my friends always says, when you are praying with the Psalms, you're praying with 200 generations of faithful believers. So you're kind of part of that um, community, that extended cloud of of witnesses, the community that we don't see, but is also um, part of what sustains us as church too. So that's the kind of quick, somewhat quick, I guess, definition of a prayer of lament. (laughs) I love that. Joni, I've seen some people, and if I'm honest, I've seen this in myself at times, not wanting to go there, not wanting to go to lament, not wanting to give space for grief because I'm worried if I let the can, the top off the can that's like overflowing anyway, that then it'll just all unleash. I mean, any, if you, how do you do that? Where, when you feel like I'm not going to be able to function if I, I mean, that is one of the hard things with it. I mean, we don't feel, we don't have enough spaces where we feel like we can be vulnerable in that way. Um, I mean, my hope is that everyone has some space in their life where they can be that vulnerable, even if it's alone, locked in their bathroom (laughs) that they can in the shower, that you can have that moment of, of crying out before God. Um, to let that out. Cause I think if it happens more regularly, then there isn't this sense of like, if I let this out, it's going to be like a flood um, that I'm not going to be able to stop. I mean, I think many of us though have had that experience either of ourselves or being with a friend who has just been holding it inside for so long that once they let it out, it's just like, they have nothing left. Um, they just completely release. And it's, it's scary to be with someone who has gotten to that point of, of pent up um, anguish. So I think doing it more often uh, will normalize that. And if we can, uh, again, validate the need for it, it's it's an instinctual response. Like we need to lament. And there are ways that it, it finds its way out in our world. If we don't provide like an explicit outlet for it, there are other um, places that it, it comes out. How um, do we see it come out if we don't let it out? So Anne Streety Wimberly, who has written a lot in Christian ed, she's African-American. She looks particularly at Black culture. And she would say that Black rage is a way that it uh, comes out, that when we see um, like a riot or a neighborhood is burned, that it's a it's a trauma response. It's a lament. It's, a, it's the only thing that can be done. Uh, and there hasn't been another outlet for it that coerced silence. So I think um, sometimes we see this in a non-disclosure agreement, like after someone has experienced abuse, that they're forced to be quiet. And when that silence is not your choice, that you can view that silence as a form of lament, like my unchosen silence, or like if a person of color is stopped by the police and they're afraid and they're just being quiet. Um, it's It's a form of lament for the circumstance that allows all of that to unfold and and their experience with it. Uh, What are some of the other, oh, the whale. Um, I think people, we see this like after the Uvalde school shooting, these parents, like you're just a a wordless whale is another form of lament that just, it finds expression in our world. 
And to say that this is a prayer to God, this wordless expression, I mean, scripture supports that. I mean, the spirit can take those groans and can create um, words for them in the heart of God that allows them to find purpose and meaning. But all of those things are, I think, are expressions that we that we see in our world of lament that just needs to get out. Acting out, I think, for kids, uh, sometimes just acting out, pushing each other, like that kind of stuff. There's something that needs to get out and they haven't had a chance to release it. How do you create that safe space? Because I think, you know, we often see it where there's need for this safe space, but we live in a culture where there's pressure to apologize for tears. I'm so sorry. I'm getting emotional. Like, I can't, you know, like we apologize for crying and how do we create that safe space or, or we're in a situation where someone does unleash and all of a sudden we're like, how do I help them stop? And when really they probably don't need to stop, but we feel like we have to say something to fill that silence. I mean, how do we create that space where there truly is just space to lament? I think to let others have their responses without touching them, without trying to stop them from having it. I mean, there's a lot of research that shows that like our bodies know what to do. And that because it's unseemly that we try to like check it ourselves or other people try to check it. Like they try to calm people down. They try to hold them so that they won't shake or whatever they're doing. The body is trying to process it. So let the body do what it needs to do and honor that we're human beings. I mean, I think anyone, again, if you're in a position of leadership to honor and validate that, to model like appropriate vulnerability yourself, um, I think that corporate prayers of lament can help people provide language that they wouldn't ordinarily have. I mean, giving people like small things that will release stress. So the, a lot of the trauma training I had, they encouraged us to have stuff like silly putty or Play-Doh um, or like coloring sheets. I led a, a workshop this summer and I gave those, um, I can't remember what they're called, Mandela's, like the, the really intricate coloring pages. Oh, yeah. I gave them really intricate coloring pages to do while we were talking about trauma, because it helps to kind of release some of that stress and focus it to be doing that. Like you can easily do that in a setting. Like even if you're in like a work setting, like have a container of stress balls that everyone has, like give people something to fiddle with during meetings. Like it, it does help to create this space of like, I acknowledge that you are a human being and that you have these sorts of things. And I mean, of course, like some settings are more appropriate for a prayer of lament than others. Like a corporate boardroom is not necessarily the place for a prayer of lament, but a church is definitely the place for a prayer of lament. Um, Your own devotional life, definitely the place for a prayer of lament. And I mean, if you're witnessing, like it call, it invites you to something as well. So um, the lament is between you and God, but there's also a social component. Like if someone is around you and they see you praying that prayer of lament, That's an invitation for us to say, okay, like how might I be called to change my behavior so that the circumstances that are leading to my sister's lament might be affected? Like is God seeking to work through me to answer this prayer of lament? Like you can't be neutral when someone is lamenting next to you, right? I mean, just like I think a lot of us, even if we were just watching it um, on TV, those parents after their children were killed in Uvalde, like it elicits something from us. Like it's a deep sense of human resonance and it's okay to listen to that and to allow like yourself to feel led to, to whatever God is leading you toward, toward that situation. 
I saw a lot of uh, lament outpouring. You see a lot of it outpouring after big tragedies on social media. Yes. I mean, and that's a little bit of a different space to have it, but is that an okay space to have lament? Sure. I mean, I think for generations who have, who this is like a primary way that they express themselves and their identity and that they have community, then I think it is a valid space to express lament. I mean, yeah. And I think it, because I'm older, like I think, okay, like, is it safe? Like, is, are there people there who wouldn't honor that expression or who might say something mean in response to like, to that? Like, I want to protect people when I see them being vulnerable in that way. But if that is their primary community, then I think, again, there's that sense in which it invites me to to respond. Like if I'm a witness to that lament, like how does that pull something out of me? Like how is God using that to invite me to be a, a part of um, maybe addressing whatever that concern is? Jenny, you shared on our last podcast about some personal trauma that you've gone through and how some people... Um, pulled back from you when you lost your your sister-in-law and were there others that created that space for lament and what did that look like? I mean, how do you have any that came around you to create that space for you and your family to lament? I mean, I think one of the things my husband and I, we've just talked about this recently, that the way that different family members responded to the shock of Twyla's death. And I mean, my father-in-law, really like raged lament at God. And it was very uncomfortable to be in the presence of that. But their pastor was just like, he was so able to just be there with that. He was like, he was unfazed by that and even nurturing and supporting that. Like I was so in awe. I mean, he was with the family the whole time. Like this pastor gets a gets a gold star. I mean, he was there at three in the morning at the hospital. He was back at 5 a.m. when we were meeting to take my sister-in-law off of life support. Like he was there for all the difficult conversations. He was there afterwards in the funeral planning, which was really hard for my father-in-law because he was raging at God. He did not, like there was no scripture that he was gonna be okay with. And there was no like easy, like platitude that he was gonna be okay with because he was just, just raging. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I will also say that in order for him to take care of his body, he did. And we talked a lot about this. He struggled with it. He needed to be prescribed something to help him sleep and to help him calm down. And that that is okay. Like that's not um, like medications can be a beneficial part of processing and healing as well, because your body does have to sleep and it does have to rest. And that he had to reach a point where he could like be calm enough to allow his body to rest. I mean, there was nothing that was going to be benefited. It wasn't going to bring my sister-in-law back to life for him to just not sleep and to just rage the whole time. So I think to recognize that people have different ways of responding and that um, even if we've all experienced the same traumatic event, that people are going to need to process in different ways and at different times. For me, writing has been a really helpful way to um, express lament to write a prayer of lament. Um, I've seen this with other folks too. Um, Last spring, we had had a a pastor friend who came into my worship class at the seminary and we were talking about different forms of prayer and we were talking about the situation in Ukraine. And um, this pastor then was bothered. And so he went back to the church and he wrote a prayer of lament. And then he sent that out to his congregation and invited people to just pray that at their own 
pace or in their own time, whenever they wanted to kind of in that sense of um, dispelling it. And it was such a good prayer. Like I then used it in some meetings on campus, like our family used it. I put it in my book, like to kind of allow um, yourself to process it at your own pace and to find the space where you can process it and to recognize that it doesn't have to look one way. I think that is, is really important to remember. Oh, and I mean that my, my husband didn't rage the way his dad did. He didn't weep the way his brother and sister did. Like his way of processing and expressing the trauma of my sister-in-law's death was different. And to also acknowledge that that was okay, that it was okay to just be really quiet and to not have a word. I mean, that's okay too. Like that's kind of sense of, of the inability to speak. Um, trauma bypasses all those brain functions that sometimes we don't have the words and that you don't have to, like the spirit will provide the words for you to, to God. So to just acknowledge, I think that diversity is, is huge. I'm familiar with the Old Testament and the Hebrew practice of sitting Shiva with individuals that are grieving. And it sounds like that pastor was able to do that for your father-in-law during that time. Um, And, you know, being in ministry, we always think, oh, we have to have the answer for everything. We have to talk. We have to fill space. uh, We have to fill the void when all we have to do really is be present, that ministry of presence is huge. Um, even if we have no adequate words. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And to, and to do that, even as a friend, you can do that too, to just say, you know what, I'm here. Like, can I come by your place? Can I, can I fold your laundry? Like, <laughs> can I drop off something from Costco or whatever it is? Like just some little way of letting people know that you're there and that you've got their back, uh, that they're not in this on their own, because it's very isolating to go through an experience like that. I want to mention that that the Psalms, the lament Psalms kind of follow a a set structure. And if you do want to write your own prayer of lament, knowing that structure can be helpful. And you can can trace these through the the Psalms. So they usually begin with an address. Um, It's helpful to remember that we have a, a personal God, a relational God. God is our parent that God is not like a an impersonal God. So the address usually is like God who loves us, my Lord and my master, the God who called me, like some way of, of establishing that sense of relationship uh, at the start of the prayer. And then offering your lament, offering your petition, like what hurts? Like, what do you want to express before God? And then God's motivations. Like a lot of times the Psalms are like, if I'm in the pit, who will praise you or like, stay true to your promise, God. Like you made this promise to our ancestor, like stay true to it. Otherwise the nations will mock you. Like they're trying to invite God to be the God that God says that God is. And then finally uh, ending with a sense of praise that God has heard and that God will respond. So you're almost acknowledging the future before you've experienced it um, to say, I know you heard me. I know that you will respond. I, I, accept your power in my life um, to resolve this situation. So that's kind of the general flow of a, of a psalm of lament. And I think knowing that can allow you, if you are the kind of person that would want to like create your own, um, could be beneficial. I love that. And it's uh, helpful both after an, an event of trauma, but with ongoing trauma too. I think about many of the laments in scripture have that phrase, how long, oh Lord, like 
we are still suffering. God, we are here. I know you see us. Will you do something about this? And so to, to know that some trauma is related to a single event, but some is like we talk about racism, like that is an ongoing trauma, chronic trauma. Yeah. So just to know that, um, lament gives voice to that. It honors that it recognizes it sees that, but it is a way of, um, taking it and taking it to the one who can actually do something about it, but also can be a way of sharing in community. Yeah. The, the spirituals are like a treasure trove mm. of lament that grew out of that same sense of anguish, the anguish of enslavement and a sense of like empowerment, like we cannot get out of the situation, but we can cry out to you, God. And that that is, it leans toward liberation. I think um, that sense of empowerment that can come from, from lament. I mean, it is an act of protest. So I think um, even when, when that isn't our cultural background to engage with spirituals, it may invite us to say, okay, how am I, how do I need to lean into that liberation? Like, how do I need to change so I can uh, help, our society function in a way that's more equal for all people. But I think that's a, it's a huge, rich resource for us. I I want to acknowledge some of what you were saying at the beginning, Callie, with how hard it is to find spaces and to like, the lament feels very countercultural mm-hmm. and, and that our world um, isn't really a place where there's space for that. I think there's a huge wellness industry that wants to have the narrative that life is getting better constantly all the time and that your very best life is just around the corner. And especially if you buy this book, if you buy this product, if you buy this candle, if you buy this granola bar, if you buy this coffee, if you buy this health system, like that, then you will have access to this thing. And so we try to staunch the pain. Our culture does by telling people to buy things. And that is such a strong narrative. I mean, we are constantly being like, people are constantly trying to sell us stuff. Like it's just constant. And it is so wrapped up with this sense of of narrative of not fully acknowledging the fullness of what it is to be a human being. Because to be a human is to also be vulnerable. It's to not be perfect. It's to be finite, right? Like, but that is not the narrative that we are supposed to live as Americans. And so it is really hard. Like it does, it requires... Um, it is a countercultural move. And that's why it's really important to have a community around you that can support that. Because otherwise you just feel like you're being gaslit. You're like, am I the only one who is tired? Am I the only one who like, just feels like I'm at the end of my rope? And you're not like, you're not the only one. I will tell you that. <laughs> so what if we as the church could be the place that not even in necessarily in, in maybe in the church building, but maybe as we as Christians go out to the world, what if we became that safe sanctuary where people can lament and be with God? I love this, Jenny. Thank you for sharing with us today. And friends, we are in a series with Dr. Jenny Sankin, uh, looking at some resources from her book. I know we talked about not promoting necessarily a book or a quick solution to our pain, but Jenny has written this incredible resource that uh, if you are wanting to dive deeper into uh, trauma and 
resiliency and how to grow and grow through it. Um, some of these healthy practices like lament. And so that's all our griefs to bear responding with resilience after collective trauma. And that's available for pre-hour order. Now it's coming out in November. Um, but if you've enjoyed this podcast, uh, there, this is part of a series. So uh, hop in with us. We're going to be continuing on in it, uh, looking next week at storytelling. So hopefully you'll join us then. And in the meantime, remember we are better together.